Good morning, Oakwood. Glad you're here this morning. What a great time of worship and uh, celebration of what God has done in our lives. And uh, just excited to uh, be sharing the Word of God with you uh, again this morning. It's a privilege and an honor uh, that is not taken lightly. You know, uh, one of the things I do during the week is I like to get off campus sometimes and, and out of the office. Uh, a lot of times the work of the ministry just provides that there's lots of questions and lots of interruptions. So a lot of times I'll go to a coffee house and the one I frequent is Da Vinci's Coffee House. I don't know if any Da Vinci's fans in here, all three of us maybe, but uh, no, it's good. Uh, I have this new device called noise canceling headphones. If you've never had those, those are a gift from the Lord. I mean, you can work anywhere with noise-canceling headphones. I mean, people are having conversations like three feet away from me. I can't hear a word. I mean, it's, it's absolutely amazing. But I was there this week, and I noticed something. That was one of those moments where all the women in, in the church would go, oh, but there was, this, uh, there was these uh, moms that were meeting, and one of them had a brand-new baby in her arms, brought, her in, brought this little guy in the, in the baby carrier and set him down. He's cute as a button. And, and you know what happens is as some of the uh, older ladies were coming in, they were having a meeting at the back table, they were passing this mother, and every single one of them had to do what? They had to stop and make over the baby, right? They saw the little baby, and, and you know, oh, he's so cute, and you saw him talking, and you know, I couldn't hear a thing, but you know, I could watch them, and I was watching this happen, and it was just reminded me of like how, how it is when there's a baby, right? Everybody makes over the baby. The baby gets lots of attention because you know, it's a baby and it's cute and it's, you know, a little one and, and, and it just kind of, there's somewhere in our hearts where we really like babies, you know, we, we like to look at babies. But I was reminding me of the church and like when we first come to Christ Jesus, the Bible actually says this, that we are babies in Christ, that we are, that we are babes in Christ. But it says that we're to grow up to maturity, that we're not supposed to always be like a Christian baby. And, and that's something that's, that's always been on my mind. And, and you know, as we're in this series called Transformed, it's really about that process of sanctification, that process of maturity, of how we come to be more like Christ and we don't stay babies forever. A lot of times when we're babes in Christ, yes, we get more attention and we consume to grow. We, we've got to have the, the pure spiritual milk of the, the Word. In, in 2 Peter, it talks about that we need to have that and that we need to grow. But we can't stay babies we can't stay there. We've got to grow in Christ and mature in Christ, become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ to serve His kingdom. So far in this series, we've learned this. that The first week we learned that a transformed life is marked by willing surrender. It's marked by willing surrender. And that was, we talked about it that week, that it's not just a, a one-time thing. It's a daily decision that we make to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about how we are going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, the Scripture told us in Romans 12 too. That we, we are going to be people that are constantly pursuing the things of God and opening ourselves to more godly things and putting away worldly things. And that, we're, that God, through His transformational process, is actually going to renew our minds, going to renew the way that we think. And today, we're going to learn that a transformed life is marked by humble service. By humble service. It's a, it's a completely new direction, a lot more action that we take today. So if you have your Bibles, I want you uh, to turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, you, as always, you're welcome to follow along in our app. All the sermon notes and all the key scriptures are there. We'd love to have you follow along that way. If you didn't bring your Bible this morning, just grab the one in front of you and turn it to page 948. Just grab that Bible, turn it to 948. You're right there, Romans chapter 12. 
So uh, the first two weeks we did verse 1, verse 2. Today we're actually doing a section of Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. So please follow along with me as I read this morning from the Word of God. This is what it says. For by the grace given to me, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the Christians in Rome. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, to everyone, this is for everyone, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members... And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. What is he talking about there? He's first of all talking about that we're supposed to have humility. We're not supposed to to think about ourselves as more highly than we ought to. But then he starts talking about unity. He starts saying that we are one. We're all members of one another. We don't all function the same. We're all different parts of the body, but we are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. In other words, there's like a family feel to this church thing. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching. I'm sorry, I skipped one there. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads, leads with zeal, the one who who does acts of mercy, does them with cheerfulness. And you see what he does here is he lists off these spiritual gifts that we get from the Lord and talks about, hey, we're supposed to use these gifts to build up the body of Christ. There's really two calls in our passage today. And the first call is this. It's a call to humility and unity. In verses 3 through 5, the first part, it's a call to humility and unity. And let me just say up front, it's a lot easier to have unity when you have humility, when you have humble people to work with. True humility is considering someone as better than yourself. That you would consider their needs before you would consider your own needs. And our model of this, the best model in the world, is Jesus Christ. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1-4. through It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, If there's any participation in the Spirit, if there's any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves." Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, it summarizes so beautifully there. There's humility and there's unity. We're called to be one mind. We're called to be in full accord, it says. But how do we do that? It's because we don't consider ourselves as important. We don't consider ourselves as first or best. Instead, we consider others as better than ourselves. 
I mean, Paul does this very strategically before he starts talking about the diversity of spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. He hits it here as he does in so many of his writings in the New Testament. If you read all of the books of the Apostle Paul, you would see how important the mission of Christ is to him and how he keeps coming back to this theme of unity. And you may say, so what? Unity, why? It's because, think about it, unity releases power. Unity releases power. Whenever there is unity, there is power. Now, you can think about this in all different contexts of life. Any business that has unity, that the team is moving the same direction, can accomplish way more in the business world than one that is going different directions. Any sports teams that are out there that are moving the same direction, that have that unity of mission and unity of purpose, accomplish more than teams that have a bunch of personalities that don't go the same direction. Any family can accomplish more for the kingdom of God. Any marriage can be strong and awesome and, and the evidence of God's love in it. Any church, when it unites, becomes very, very powerful. And that's why the Apostle Paul starts this section with talking about humility and unity. And you see this all throughout the Bible. In the book of Genesis, there's the story of the Tower of Babel. You remember that? And God said, look... This is what, what, it, what he said. He said, look, these people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Do you remember the story of the Tower of Babel? They were trying to build a, a city and in, in the middle of the city, this tower, and they were trying to build it, it says in Scripture, they were trying to build it to the heavens. They were trying to, to attain some, some dominance in the world. And they were trying to attain the power. And really what they were after is they were after trying to be in the heavens with God. They were trying to be like God. And so they really were pursuing something very selfish and very, something very evil in their hearts. But God said, he acknowledged, hey, these people are on the same page. God said, they're united. They, they all speak the same language. And after this, there will be nothing impossible for them. So what did God do? He scattered them throughout the earth. And then they stopped building the tower. Do you remember? He mixed the languages, and so he sent them out to scatter over all the earth so they would quit building this evil thing and trying to be like God. God had to divide them because he knew they would accomplish whatever was in their heart, and what was in their heart at that time was not good. Now think about this. Pentecost, the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, reversed Babel. Have you ever thought about that? Pentecost reversed Babel. Think about that. God scattered them at Babel and mixed their languages because they were uniting for something evil that was against God. But after Jesus comes and he gives the great commission, God's spirit at Pentecost, what did it do? Do you remember? It united the language and now the common language in unity is Jesus. We speak Jesus. We work for Jesus. We live our lives for Jesus. The direction we go is for Jesus, the Jesus is the most single unifying factor for all of his people. And God's church has great unity when we focus on Jesus together and we serve together and we pursue holiness together and we love Jesus and his mission together. And Paul knows that God's church is at its best when it keeps its eyes on Jesus, on Jesus and it unifies all of our gifts in all of our different areas to serve him. And we're not prideful about our gifts, and we're going to get to that in just a few minutes. We're not prideful about those things. We just know that we are tools in God's hands to further His kingdom on earth. Now, I have, I have another story about this. Have you ever thought of the book of Nehemiah? 
Do you remember the story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament? Basically, the Israelites, God's chosen people, had disobeyed God, and God had allowed them to get taken over by other people groups, and they were in exile. And so now, after being in exile for, for a long time, they started coming back to Jerusalem. But Jerusalem was just really desolate at the time. Because then when they came in and they got taken away, they had just destroyed Jerusalem. One of the things they had des destroyed at Jerusalem were the walls around Jerusalem. So just as a testimony to God and, and to allow them to come back into the land and to show some kind of force together, Nehemiah led really a ragtag band of workers to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. This had not been done in hundreds of years. You know how long it took Nehemiah to do it with his team? 52 days. Something that hadn't been accomplished in hundreds of years took 52 days with the supernatural power and leading of the Lord and the focus and the unity of this group. It's amazing the power that comes with unity. Throughout the book of Acts, the disciples, it says in the book of Acts, were in one accord. And that's not a Honda because they didn't have Honda Accords back then. It means unity. They were in one accord, it says. And throughout the book of Acts, we see God's people and God's church coming together in unity, having the Holy Spirit's power on their mission to spread the gospel to the world. And amazing things happen when God's people humbly serve in His name and have unity about the mission. Now, I want to tell you this morning, that's why the devil will always try to divide to conquer. That's his game plan. He's going to divide to conquer. He's trying to do that right now between many of you and your spouse. He wants to separate wife and husband. He wants to separate you from your kids. He wants to separate you and your business from the team that works with you, your staff and your business. And yes, he's trying to divide the church into different factions with different preferences and different visions of what the mission should be. And he knows if I can get them fighting against each other, they will not be able to unite and have power to defeat me because they're fighting themselves. And unity and diversity is a big deal. And that's why the Apostle Paul starts this section with that. And I want us to get that this morning. So we've got to have humility and unity. These are the markers of a transformed life and a Christ-centered missional church. So the first call from the Scripture this morning is a call to humility and unity. And the second is a call to serve the Lord with our spiritual gifts. The second is a call to serve the Lord with our spiritual gifts. Now, we use the word spiritual gifts, and a lot of times it, it drums up a lot of different ideas and feelings for, for a lot of different people. So I want to explain uh, this morning, just, just really briefly, how does this happen and what does this mean exactly? When you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Scripture says that everyone that comes and is saved, that calls Jesus Savior and Lord, they receive a spiritual gift with the help of the Holy Spirit from God. Now, some people get multiple gifts, some people get one gift, it, it doesn't really matter. God is the one that assigns that. He's the one that says that I'm going to give this person this gift, maybe this person these two gifts, maybe this person these three gifts, but everyone has at least one. We know that from the scripture. And so when we come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we get this spiritual gift. And what Paul does here is he gives a summary of seven of those today. Now this isn't an exhaustive list. There's, there's more in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which Paul also wrote. He talks a little bit longer. There's a longer list of spiritual gifts there. But his point is he's wanting the believers to unify and to use 
their gifts that God has given them and what God has orchestrated and brought together in their life to humbly serve the kingdom of God. And that's why it is the mark of a transformed life when you have humble service to God. And Paul in his list here, and when we, when we read this in verses 6-8, through eight, Paul wants believers to understand that serving the mission of God is not a one-size-fits-all endeavor. There's different gifts, and there's different personalities, and there's different people. You see, living the transformed life means participating in the disciple-making process for others in the way God has personally called and equipped you. Let me say that again. Living the transformed life means participating in the disciple-making process for others in the way that God has personally called and personally equipped you. And Paul wants to help these believers in Rome and, and even to us today to embrace and to activate our gifting. So let's look at these from Romans chapter 12. There's seven. Okay, it's the gift of prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, generosity, leadership, and mercy. Those are the gifts that are mentioned here. So let's talk about each of these uh, just, just for a few minutes here. The first one that he mentions right there at the beginning of verse 6 is the gift of prophecy. It says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. What was a prophet in the Bible? Many people, when they hear the word prophet, they think, well, that was one of those, those people that listened and they got a word from the Lord and then they told people what was going to happen in the future. So it's almost like they were future tellers. Now, that wasn't true all of the time, but many times prophets had a special knowledge from the Lord about what was about to happen in the future. But there was a purpose behind that. Their purpose wasn't just, hey, I'm going to let you know what's going to happen. Hey, I want to let you know, if you don't go to God's direction, there's going to be some plagues that come your way. Hey, I want to let you know that there's going to be a great famine that comes upon the land and that you're going to need to save for at least three years because this famine is coming. But that wasn't their purpose. A prophet was a person that spoke for God with the purpose of calling God's people back to himself. Their purpose was to call people to repentance and to turning back toward God when they had gone a different direction. And that's why many times when you see prophets in the Bible, the prophets come at not good times. If you remember the one I talked about just a couple of weeks ago with one of my favorite stories in the Bible when the prophet Nathan rebukes David. That wasn't a good time. But he has supernatural knowledge from the Lord of what David had done. And he comes and he rebukes David to get David to repent and to turn back to him. That's what a prophet does. And so if anyone has the gift of prophecy, it says let them use that as God has given it to them. The second spiritual gift here that is mentioned is service. Service. I like to, to call this one helps. When you have the gift of service, it means that you see needs and you meet needs. And people that have this gift, I think they don't even think about it. They don't analyze it. They don't necessarily count the cost of it. They just see a need. They see you know, what needs to be done. And they just step in by God's grace and they do it. They pitch in and they serve in very practical ways. And in doing so, they build up the body of Christ through their service. The next one is teaching in our list. Teaching. Now, teaching was an ancient and very honorable profession in Jewish culture. Those that were called rabbis or those that were teachers were held in very, very high esteem. And through teaching at that time, it told people how to relate to God and how to relate to people. 
That was the purpose of the teaching. How do we relate to God? How do we form this relationship with God? How do we form this relationship with one another? If teaching provides guidance for people and tells people the way that God wants them to go, then that is a very good gift. But there's a gift that comes in on the tail of that, and that's the next one in our list. This next gift helps them achieve what is being taught. The next gift is the gift of exhorting or exhortation. Someone who's exhorting is a person that has this gift. What they do is they strongly encourage or urge someone to do something it's it's like the gift of encouragement it's like they're cheering others on though when you have the gift of exhortation you can be quite pushy and persuasive but it's because you are urging people to go God's way you're urging them to accomplish something for God you're urging them and encouraging them to walk in faith the gift of exhorting or exhortation the next gift is the gift of generosity. And this gift is contributing to the needs of others with God's love. It's using your resources. It's not just your money, but your resources, your possessions, your car. Whatever God has put in your hands, it's using those resources to meet the needs of others with God's love. Paul had taught elsewhere in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He talked about giving. And that people that had the gift of giving or the gift of generosity were not to be giving reluctantly or under compulsion. And so if you find yourself giving reluctantly or under compulsion, you're probably not gifted in this area. But I'm telling you what, I've seen this gift at work, and it's amazing how they're so cheerful and joyful when they get to give to help others in their time of need. A person with a very generous spirit maybe has the spiritual gift of generosity. The next one in the list is the gift of leadership. The gift of leadership. And the best definition I could come up with uh, for this one, and I think I got this from Bill Hybels or something. I'd heard this in a podcast uh, sometime somewhere. But it says this, to get people, the gift of leadership is to get people to move from here to there. That's what it is in its simplest form. The gift of leadership. To get people to move from here to there. And so God's spiritual gift of leadership is to get people to move from here in their spiritual walk, here in their relationship with God, to there, to the desired outcome, to what God really wants. Although leadership in the contemporary world is often seen as the fruit of ambition, persistence, good fortune sometimes, biblical leadership is essentially a service carried out for the benefit of others. It's pointing a direction, and it's going God's way. And a leader is someone that gets people to move God's direction. And the last one, and certainly not least, is the gift of mercy. The gift of mercy. This is the gift of compassion and grace, and what I think is patience for people. This gift would include such activities as, as feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, caring for those who are aged. And these are done cheerfully. There's actually a desire in people to have the gift of mercy, to want to go and express God's love and compassion on people that are maybe even far from Him. People that have this gift are often some of the people that you want to see when you're down and out, when you fall on hard times, 
when you're in a time where you need a word of compassion, a word of love, or a prayer, the gift of mercy. Now, something that's interesting about these seven things that we've been talking about is in regards to these gifts, there are four of these gifts that are mentioned here that really Christians are called to do in the Scriptures. I mean, you have heard these verses before. We are called just as Christians to serve one another. We're called as Christians to admonish one another or encourage one another. The gift of exhortation. We are called to be generous toward God and toward one another. Generosity. We are called to have mercy and grace and forgiveness on one another. The gift of mercy. And so you take the service the exhortation, the generosity, and the mercy. And you look at those. And you say, well, these are things that all Christians should do. This is something that we should be growing in all of the time. Yes. But according to our passage today, some people are actually gifted by God. Supernaturally, they're powerful in these areas. These things you would say come naturally to them. Actually, they come supernaturally to them. Because God's Spirit is enabling them to use these gifts in powerful ways. And so we're all called to live out those four areas, but some of us are actually gifted by God's Spirit. And so we have a special calling and a special place in the kingdom for these things. Now you look at all of these seven that we have just in this list from Romans 12 today, and you say, wow, those are some diverse gifts. And the point of the, the call to humility and to unity from earlier in the passage, from verses 3 through 5 today, is to say, hey, in this diversity of gifts, serving the body of Christ, and even though we're all different parts, we are on the same team. And we need to be moving the same direction. And if we do that in humility toward one another, with an appreciation of each other, and all of our different gifts coming together, we will accomplish much for the kingdom of God. We will mature in our transformational process and become more like Jesus. And we'll be a church that's going to, to accomplish much for the kingdom of God. I, I kind of want to end this morning with a scripture, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. I want you to follow along with this. It's going to be on the screens as I read. I want you to think about what the scripture is saying. Now here at the very beginning it says, and he gave the apostles. Now, the he that it's talking about here is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Has just been talking about him in the verses before. So this is what it says, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 11. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. To do what? What's, what's the point? He gave these offices. He gave these different positions of authority within God's church. He gave these different leadership. He gave these different spiritual guides. He, he, he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to do what? In verse 12 it says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That is all of the saved ones. If it says saints there, it's anyone who's saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. All those that would call themselves Christians are saints. So the point is, is these spiritual leadership positions that Jesus has given some to are to equip the saints, that's the body of Christ, for the work of ministry, and for what? For what purpose? For building up the body of Christ. And so the body of Christ can grow, so the gospel message can go out, so there can be a whole difference in the world and a difference in people's lives. And then it says, until when? Until we all attain to what? The unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to what? To mature manhood. 
to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that what? So that we're no longer to be like children tossed to and fro by waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to do what? We are to grow up in every way into Him that is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body of the church is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. But here's the problem I see in the church today, amongst Christians today, is that each part is not working properly. In fact, some of the parts aren't working at all. And if you're falling under conviction here this morning, then I think God's message for you is to don't just come and consume, but be a part of what God is doing. And if you're a true believer and a true Christian, you have a spiritual gift. And it's your job to figure out with God what is that and to use it to serve the kingdom of God. Because when we do this and we come together as a church and the body of Christ is working properly, not 20% of the body of Christ working properly, not 15%, but 100% of the body of Christ, when it's working properly, it makes the body grow. We're going to see tons of baptisms. We're going to see tons of people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're going to see the church grow and explode because it says the body will grow so that it builds itself up in God's love. Because if you are claiming to be a Christian and claiming to be in the process of sanctification and living the transformed life, I'm here to tell you this morning, a transformed life is marked by humble service. It's marked by humble service. The unity with Christ that we all desire, that I think God stirs in His Spirit within us, getting closer to Him, going His direction, moving His way, what do we say it starts with? It starts with a willing surrender. It starts with renewed thinking. But today it's more of an action step because it requires and it's marked by humble service. And I'm just going to say it like I think it this morning. If you're not serving God, I could soften this and say, if you're not serving God, you're just serving yourself. But I want to be real with you this morning. If you're not serving God, then you're probably serving Satan. Now, that doesn't mean that you worship at the first church of Satan, that you're a Satan worshiper, and you, you know, you're, you're reading something that's leading you down that direction. I'm just saying, Satan is a liar and a deceiver, and he makes things like worldliness look good. And so he will lead you astray. So you may think, oh no, I'm a Christian, and I'm going God's way. But if you are not marked by willing surrender, if you are not marked by renewed thinking, if you are not marked by humble service, then I ask you to consider this morning, who are you serving? Whose kingdom are you more established in? And what direction are you going? Because I think it's time to come to Jesus. Many of us have said, oh yeah, we came to Jesus. But today, this morning, I want you to choose who you're going to serve with your life. Are you going to continue on a path where you're not using your giftedness for the Lord and His kingdom's work, where you're just going your own direction, or are you going to get on a path to where you are going to get so tight with your relationship with God? You're going to know exactly what God wants for your life. Well, remember last week we read about how do we, how do we know His will? How do we know God's will? Renewal of the mind. Only renewed thinkers can know the will of God, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
And Paul goes on here and says, hey, we've got to be humble about this. We've got to have unity about this. But we're going to use these spiritual gifts that God's given us to further the kingdom. And so I ask you this morning, whose team are you on? Choose today who you will serve. And if you're on God's team, I want you to live that transformed life out. By using what God's given you. And giving it out, pouring yourself out, giving it back through humble service to the kingdom of God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity we have to serve you. Lord, sometimes I I imagine what it's like to be you up in heaven, looking down at your children, loving us so much. And God, it's so exciting because the scripture says you love us so much, you don't leave us the same. You change us, you transform us. And then you give us spiritual gifts that we're to use for your kingdom's work. But so many of us, God, we are just consumers. We just come to church and we consume and we we don't get involved and we don't serve others. We don't walk out of the doors of the church and, and see our life and our work and all the places we go during the week as a mission field, spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. And so, Lord, I'm praying today that we can change to be more like you want us to be. That we can show transformed, changed lives and changed hearts that are tuned into you and your direction. And by doing that, God, as it says so many times in our passage today, you're going to build up the church. You're going to build up the body of Christ. You're going to build up as we build one another. And as you build us as people, we're going to see your kingdom expand. We're going to see some amazing things happen in your church. But Lord, it's each and every one of us doing our part to serve the kingdom. And God, if some of us are saying right now, I'm just not motivated, may the death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary be enough. As Easter really is just a couple of months away, may the motivation of Easter, the death of the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be motivation enough for us to take the next step toward following him. The next step in our transformation is humble service. And so God, I, I just pray if there's anyone here this morning that needs to repent of apathy, if there's anyone here that needs prayer, if there's anyone here, Lord, that, that can't really understand this because they've never called Jesus a Savior and Lord, They don't have any spiritual gifts because they haven't accepted Christ, your son, yet. God, may today be the day of salvation for someone. So, Lord, as we sing this song, I just pray you continue to work in our minds, work in our hearts. Have your Holy Spirit hurry us to a decision about the direction of the future of our lives. Lord, we will choose today to serve you. And we pray in Jesus' name.